Welcome back to the second season of Sax Reel. This season is brought to you in part by Key Leaves. Are you suffering from sticky sax keys or striving to keep your instrument healthy? Check out Key Leaves and use the code SAXREEL for a special discount at keyleaves.com. That's key like a saxophone key and leaves like leaves keys open to dry. Key Leaves. I'm extremely excited for this week's guest. She was the first woman to perform a featured concerto with orchestra and to give a masterclass at a World Saxophone Congress. She's been invited to adjudicate many of the world's most prestigious competitions, and she's the professor of saxophone at the University of Illinois. I'm very happy to welcome Professor Deborah Richtmeyer. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking. So I always like to start off with a little bit of background on how you got into where you are, especially in your younger days. Well, yes, my father and mother were both uh, musicians, and my dad was the band director at Northern Michigan University, and he started me on a curved classical saxophone in fourth grade. And in fifth grade, he brought Fred Henke to come solo with his uh, band at Northern Michigan University. So I had an opportunity to hear Dr. Henke play and I loved his playing and I loved his personality. And I thought, gee, I'd like to find out what it's like to study with him. Uh, And so my junior year in uh, high school, when I'd just been studying with my parents all this time, I went and studied with him at the Northwestern camp and, we totally hit it off and he told me in no uncertain terms I was coming to Northwestern <laughs> and I said you bet and my father finally got talked into it. Uh, Dr. Hemke was pretty persuasive and uh, and that that was history and I went to Northwestern. I never even applied anywhere else and uh, uh, it was just an amazing uh, school for me and and Dr. Hemke was was the right person for me in that he kicked my butt. He, he, I never had practiced all that much because I was pretty naturally talented and successful. And, and all of a sudden, uh, I, we sight read some duets one day and he looked at me and he said, if you can sight read like that, I want a new piece from you every week. And I was like, okay, here we go. But it was perfect for me. He, he helped me be more outgoing in my playing because I was a little bit shy as a person in, in that time period. And it was exactly what I needed. The universe brought the perfect teacher for me and we remained close for, um, for decades. In fact, he was at Illinois uh, a few months before he passed. So I it was, came full circle. Yeah, I love that. Everyone, I mean, speaks so highly of uh, Hemke and I know he made a really big influence on a lot of people's lives. Yes, absolutely. So one part of student life that we all go through is, especially if we're performing a lot, is competitions. And I know that you did quite a few in your day. What was one that stuck out to you? Well, the, probably the, the first, the biggest competition that I did while I was in school was when I was a junior. And uh, Dr. Hemke told several of us, okay, there's going to be a World Saxophone competition being held in Got France, and you're all going. And we had to learn 10 or 11 pieces. And I'd only been on an airplane one time before that. And <laughs> I got on the plane and I went, I learned all the music. And uh, I got to meet Claude Delongle because we were the same age and we were both competing and we both made the cut. And we've been friends ever since. It was just, an amazing opportunity at that age to to be exposed to those kinds of players and a competition and and what it's like because competing at that level no one can explain it to you it's just a different level of pressure a different experience and um, I was very very grateful to have had that opportunity. 
That's amazing. I love that you were in it with Claude DeLong. Did you get to spend much time talking with people or was it mostly just kind of compete and then eventually leave? In, in that particular one, it was mostly just compete, but I did get to meet Jean-Marie Landex. He came up to me afterwards and I had been, I had played Desenclone in one of the rounds and he really liked my playing. And so he made it a point to come talk to me. And that was uh, also began a very long friendship. Uh, uh, so it was, it started a lot of relationships. That's amazing. <laughs> Even getting compliments from everybody. I love that. <laughs> So of course you did not stay in school for forever and eventually you had to go out and find work. I'm just wondering what was it like getting out of school and what was that process like for you? Well, when I was at Northwestern, I I also played in the jazz band in in addition to grad quartet and wind ensemble. And I played in the Chicago Bears band for three years and I did backup for entertainers. And so that was all wonderful experience and fun and made good money doing that. And uh, when I graduated with my master's degree, I was asked to, to teach at Camp Batawagama, which is in the <laughs> upper peninsula of Michigan. It's been around since the, around 1945. And I said, sure, I went up there and I, I performed and I gave a master class. And as synchronicity would happen, Fred Sturm, who at the time was the jazz band director at Lawrence University Conservatory was there and he heard me play and give a master class and called me a week later after it was over and said, well, our oboe slash saxophone teacher just quit. Can you come up next week and audition for the dean and to see if you'd like the halftime position for next fall? <laughs> and I didn't have a job other than playing backup, you know, shows, all kinds of different entertainers, which was great. But I, I and teaching private students at high schools, which I'd been doing for years. But this was the opportunity I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went up and played and they offered me the job and it was great. And I taught there for a year, commuting back and forth uh, from Chicago to Appleton, Wisconsin. And then I would play shows during the week in Chicago. And uh, at the end of the year, they, they rewrote the job so it'd be full time so that it fit my talents. Mm. And I verbally said yes. But then right after that happened, I got a call from the University of North Texas, which at the time was called North Texas State University. And I had applied for a job there in February and it was now June. And I figured, well, I didn't get the job. I haven't heard anything. And they were just slow in getting to that point because there were a lot of applicants. And they said, well, you're one of our two candidates. Can you come in next week and play a master, do a master class and play a recital? And I was a bit shocked, but of course I said yes. And I went down there and I played and I got offered the job and I called up uh, uh, the Dean at Lawrence Conservatory. And I said, well, North Texas just offered me a full-time assistant professor position and I, I'd really like to take it. I hadn't signed anything yet. And they said, oh, we completely understand. Absolutely. And so uh, they said, well, do you know anybody that you could recommend? And I said, yeah, I was playing in quartet with this wonderful player in person named Steve Jordheim. And so he went and auditioned and got the job and he's still there all these (laughs) decades later. So it's just, I tell my students, you never know who you're going to meet and what opportunities might present themselves that will lead to that first job. So be open-minded. Mm-hmm. For sure. I love that. You went from playing with the Chicago Bears jazz band to teaching in that span. That's awesome. Yes, it really was great fun and a good experience. Yeah. 
So I know Texas, of course, there's like a very large band society and band program there. And you have the TMEA, that's a massive organization. I'm wondering, was there any opportunity you got to work with them that was memorable? After many years there, I got a chance to actually judge the competition. But my first experience with the, with the TMEA was when they were doing a national joint conference with MTNA. And it was my first year at uh, North Texas. And I was doing the Finney Concerto with the Wind Ensemble on tour. And our final concert was going to be in San Antonio for this big conference. And uh, our hotel was about five minutes away from the conference center. And so we left about 40 minutes before the concert, plenty of time I'd warmed up because it's only a five minute drive. And uh, what we didn't know is that there was a rodeo parade happening <laughs> and they had awful roads blocked off. We could literally kept going around in circles and being pushed away from the conference center. And it was getting closer and closer to the downbeat. And finally, Jim Riggs, who was the other saxophone professor at North Texas at the time, he goes, we need to get out of this car and there was someone else driving. So he grabbed my saxophone and I was in my long dress and heels and we ran like two blocks. And I got there 10 minutes before the downbeat and I looked at the band director and I said, I'm here, I'm here. And he didn't even realize I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it all went great. And, and ironically, uh, Fred Hemke was there at the same mm. time doing a master class, and he cut his master class short and took everyone in the room to come hear me play. Oh, so. that's so sweet! <laughs> Man, I love hearing about these disastrous concerts. You know, it ended up fine, but like the yeah. nerves you feel building up to that must have been insane. And then having to run in heels and a dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very happy that ended well. <laughs> it, it went great. I I was completely happy with how I played, but yeah, it's. Uh, Preparation is the key to something like that, right? I knew sure. I knew music, so I didn't have time to get nervous. <laughs> I guess that's one upside to it, yeah. That's exactly right. I'm curious, when did you end up getting the job at the University of Illinois, and what was that transition like for you? Well, I had been teaching at uh, North Texas for 10 years, and during that time, I'd been very fortunate because um, actually the first few weeks that I had taken the job at North Texas, I received a phone call from the personnel manager of the Dallas Symphony saying, well, we heard about you. And Maestro Mata, the conductor at the time, uh, we're doing some saxophone pieces. He wants you to come down and audition hmm. next week and play pictures at an exhibition in Bolero for him. And so, of course, I said yes. And I went down and played and uh, I I won the position and I got to record pictures with them and play Bolero with them. Wow. And over that period of 10 years, I played over a hundred concerts with them because Mata just loved my playing and he went out of his way to find saxophone music. <laughs> and it was, it was great. And it was during a time that honestly, not that many classical saxophonists were getting hired to play in orchestras, particularly big orchestras because our reputation wasn't, as, as well known today of being fine musicians. And so usually they would hire a clarinetist to double saxophone. And so this kind of started a trend that, that has just exploded since then, but I was very fortunate. And it was, it was almost like a, another degree, doctorate degree or whatever for me, because it's very different playing in an orchestra than being a soloist or playing in quartet or band. And uh, I've just learned so much and uh, had a wonderful time. They were wonderful musicians and people. 
And coming back to your question is at the end of my 10th year, he uh, retired from the orchestra and I had heard they were bringing in a conductor that might not be used, doing that type of repertoire. And so the handwriting in, was on the wall that I might not get to play with them much anymore. And at that exact time, here we go with synchronicity, Joe Luloff got the job who was at Illinois at Michigan State and Illinois, the band director, Jim Keen at the time, called me up and said, we really want you to apply for this job. And I thought, well, why not? You know, the timing is right. And I'm from the Midwest and it's a smaller school than North Texas, which you know, there's about 110 saxophonists taking that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so it was pretty, pretty different situation and mostly jazz players. And I mm. had wonderful classical players there, but they were in the minority to the jazz scene. And I thought, well, it'd be great to get back in the Midwest. I'll apply and just see what happens. And, and they rolled out the red carpet and I decided to take a leap and took the job. And within a few years, I was recruiting the studio and it became everything I'd hoped it would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm starting my 31st year there. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. I love it. It's great. You, of course, have built a fantastic studio and you've done a lot of things since being there. One of which was um, you hosted NASA actually in a couple years back now. And that was actually my first NASA and yeah, I loved it. It was so much fun, but yeah. I'm just curious. I know that's a lot of work and a lot of stress involved in organizing something so big. So what was that experience like for you? Yes, it absolutely was. And, and it's funny because people had been asking me for years to do it because we had the facilities, we had Craner and all the different stuff, but Having been involved in the World Saxophone Congress at Northwestern and other smaller regional ones, I knew the kind of work it was. Mm -hmm. And Michael Holmes, who was um, uh, working at Illinois, had studied with me, did his master's and doctorate, and, and was teaching part-time and was the admissions director at the time at Illinois. I said, you just got to do this. And I said, I'm only doing it if you're helping. <laughs> I'm not doing this by myself. So we agreed to be co-hosts and my grad students got involved in Craner. There's, you know, there's such a well-oiled machine because this is what they do. They were incredible help, but I will say it was, it was amazing amount of work, but I'm really proud of how well everything went and, and uh, uh, I'll never do it again, but it was wonderful. <laughs> That's the general consensus that I've heard from people who've hosted NASA's before. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I remember you got to play Glazunov on that, the concerto evening. And that was always a really, that was a really meaningful experience for me. Cause it was, you know, not often do you hear like a standard piece played on those. So it was really fun for me to be able to hear a piece that's, you know, played so early on in college careers, but played so well by a master of it. So I really appreciated that concert and that conference. Thank you. It was, a, it was a real honor and a joy to get to do that. Thank you. And now for a word from our other sponsor, Consistency Wins. Consistency Wins was established in 2002 by Jonathan Cathell, who has over 30 years of experience working as an instrument technician. Aside from Jonathan Cathell, there are three other amazing technicians that work there, Jeremy Hill, Alex Singleton, and Courtney Christensen. All four technicians specialize in high-end setups and modifications. One thing that I really genuinely appreciate about Consistency Wins is that I know that they're not doing this just to gouge me for money. They're doing this because they genuinely love the instrument and they love making sure that we understand what they're doing. Consistency Wins doesn't use any gimmicky repair materials as a means to lure in musicians. 
Instead, they focus on how the instrument should properly function and provide helpful, myth-proof, tried, and tested information. This encourages less visits to the repair shop through the long-lasting services they provide. So if your instrument is out of repair and you're looking for someone who you can trust to do quality work, make sure you go to Consistency Wins. That's consistent, the letter C, wins. So of course, like I mentioned before, you've been an adjudicator for a lot of major competitions. And I'm wondering what was the process like of getting invited to that and then actually going to those competitions and hearing such high level playing? Well, I think the, the, the first big competition that I got invited to do was the Fish Off National Chamber Music Competition. And uh, again, you, you never know where those things are gonna come about. I found out later that they had asked Eugene Rousseau to do it and he wasn't available and he recommended me. Mm. So you just never know again where those things will come from. And um, one of the things that, that sticks in my mind as I do these kinds of competitions is, is I'm always uh, paying attention to what do I feel from the player as well as what do I hear. Because for me, um, uh, the well-rounded performance is, is not only technically accurate and, and in tune and beautiful sound and all of those things that you would hope for, but that it's moving and, 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 and I felt something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that that's the standard that most judges, especially at these big competitions, that's the separator because there are so many fabulous players out there today. And um, uh, yeah, you can tell if someone played a wrong note, but, but it, it, is one wrong note that big a deal if, if they really moved you and connected with your soul? And so as long as any technical imperfection didn't interfere with that, I'm all about that. And uh, so that's, but it, it, it is difficult. You really have to pay attention and take good notes and um, different competitions that I've done for just saxophone. The first big one was Jean-Louis Landex's competition in Thailand. And the first round was behind a screen and they're playing Bach and then they're playing a contemporary piece. So you really got to see both sides. And it was really interesting to hear how some people played beautiful Bach but couldn't play the contemporary piece. And some people just were amazing on the contemporary piece, but were clueless on the Bach. And Landex did that on purpose because he really wanted somebody that could do both. And uh, so I, that was a learning experience too. You know, how, how do you flesh out a larger experience from a competitor from that first round? And it, and it certainly did. It, you know, the cream always rises to the top. And I, I was fortunate to get the opportunity a couple of years ago to do DINA, which is of course a huge international competition and uh, the birthplace of Adolf Sachs and the, the, the whole community comes out for it. And there's big saxophone statues everywhere all around the city. And they have a big festival for the birthday party for him and the competition occurs and and again, I think there are just so many wonderful players, but the, the ones that really stood out and not, um, ultimately won the prizes were the ones that were wonderful technicians as well as great artists. And I think that's the lesson, you, you know, it, you really need to have both. I'm just wondering, since you've done so many major ones, do you enjoy adjudicating? I know this may be a silly question, but you know, you have to sit through a lot of auditions. Of course, they're amazing auditions, but do you enjoy that process? I absolutely do enjoy it. it. Yes, it's hard work and it's exhausting because you have to stay focused just like you need to stay focused when you're performing. Uh, because if you if you check out, you might miss someone's playing, but it, uh, 
I, I love hearing all the different players from around the world, the different sounds, the different styles, um, and just seeing where, how, how much we've progressed in the past 40 years. You know, there, there always have been great players, but there's more depth of great players now than I think than ever before. And that's really exciting to see. And there's also more interaction amongst different countries because of the internet. And um, you know, back when I was in college, it was unusual to have guest artists come in. And you know, since I've been a professor, we have people from all over coming every single year. And, and, and it's just really a, an accepted, wonderful thing to do. And we all learn and grow from that. So, um, and I also really like getting to, to meet the other adjudicators that are from around the world. And, and it becomes not only just something that you were hired to do, but you get to hang out and be fr become friends with some people. Tim McAllister was on the jury and, and just all kinds of, we became really good friends. We've known of each other and known each other, but never really got to hang out. So those types of things where mm -hmm. I really do enjoy meeting the other adjudicators and I really do enjoy hearing what the, the, the latest crop of young musician talents are, are all about. So yes, it's worth the hard work and concentration for sure. Yeah, that's one thing I love about what we get to do is like technically what we're doing is work as I mean, this is our income, but it's not doesn't always feel like work. You know, there's so many pluses to it. Like I got to do Gap one summer and meeting all the people from around the world, like you're mentioning, was just so much fun. So I agree with you on that for sure. It's definitely a really rewarding experience. Yes, yes, absolutely. And they become friends for life, mm -hmm. you know, which is really exciting. And then and then you can bring them. Uh, to, to come visit you and you can go visit them. And it's a very small world in a good way. Yeah. So of course, I do want to spend some time talking about projects that you're working on currently, or you have been working on that you would like to address. Well, as you probably know by now, this past couple of weeks has been really exciting because uh, my new pedagogy book has been released and uh, the Rick Meyer Method for Saxo Mastery and Presser Theodore Presser just released it, and it's and it's been a project near and dear to my heart. I first started um, becoming uh, interested in doing it about ten years ago when a former student, Dr. Michael Bavenzi, asked me to write a book on, on my teaching methods because he was a believer in them. They work, and and uh, and I just really struggled with how to write down what it is that I just do naturally, and then life intervened, and and it kind of just. The, the project went by the wayside. And then uh, five years ago, I was doing a master class at Georgia State and Dr. Connie Frigo, who did her master's degree with me at uh, Illinois, saw my master class and came up to me afterwards and said, you just have to write a book. And I'm like, oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't know, I kind of tried this and I don't know if I can put down on paper. And she says, oh, but I like to write, I'll help you. And so I said, okay, we'll give it another try. And Presser was very interested. She had a connection there. And um, so I just decided this time, instead of trying to write everything all perfectly, I would just take each fundamental and just write bullet points and, and how I would go about teaching it to someone. Boom, 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 boom. And each chapter and I'd send them off to her and then she would write back with ideas. And, and we just kind of went back and forth with her giving, um, uh, well, almost like a consultant, just 
thoughts and reactions and um, and uh, maybe she wanted more information on this or maybe we could present it in this order. And, uh, and I just kept doing that until it said what I wanted it to say and she knew what I was trying to say. And, and actually she was wonderful because before we even started, she flew out to Illinois watched me teach for an entire week, sat through every single lesson, because it had been many years since she'd studied with me. And she said, boy, I feel like I just got another doctorate. And uh, <laughs> it was great so that she knew my teaching techniques because they learn and grow. I mean, I keep changing as a, as a player and person and teacher and uh, wanting to grow. And so there were a lot of new things she hadn't seen me do before. And so then when, when she saw what I'd written down on paper, she knew what I was talking about. So that was really helpful. And uh, it was a wonderful collaboration. And five years later, it's out and it's really exciting. It's in two volumes and it covers the fundamentals, pedagogy, uh, practicing with artistic intention, performing with artistic intention, um, connecting with audiences, um, score reading, all, uh, sight reading, all kinds of stuff. Um, it started out as 12 chapters and one thing led to another and pretty soon at 27 chapters, it's like, okay, we need to stop. That's it, I'm not writing another chapter. <laughs> that is extensive, I love that. That's amazing, such a valuable resource. I definitely am looking forward to getting a copy of it. It's great, I'm, I'm excited and so is Dr. Frigo to have it for, as a resource for our own students, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, as well as students of my students. And uh, so, yeah. That's, um, that's kept me very busy. I'm and, sure. Uh, and now the question is, okay, what's next? And uh, it's fun to, to sit back. It's, it's been a whole week. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll uh, have more opportunities to perform and, and do master classes and things like that. I, mm. I definitely am looking forward to that. Yeah, I love that that whole process was so collaborative with Dr. Frigo too, because I mean, she was a past student, so you had known her for a while at that point and you getting to work with her on that level of intimacy is really cool and I'm sure she really enjoyed that as well because man I, I'm jealous she could just observe you for a week that sounds like an amazing experience thank you it was it was great and I, I really we get along so well and um, so she taught the, the high school camp with me here at Illinois uh, for a couple of years so that we could work on it while she was here too mm. and uh and obviously we got along or we wouldn't uh, been able to spend that much time together. <laughs> but no, it, it was great. And I just think she's amazing and uh, look forward to seeing what, what else she does in the future. Well, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while and there's just keeps on being things that get in the way, but it finally happened and I'm very excited about it. And I really appreciate all that you shared. It's really fun hearing about some of these stories that I'd never heard before. So thank you again for coming on the show. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening.